0: Hello guys and welcome back to another episode of Inside Bristol Live, a weekly podcast that takes you behind the headlines and inside your local newsroom. I'm your host, Alex Ballinger. With me this week is Matt, the producer. I'm
1: not saying it this week. Matt's back. Matt's back again. Matt's uh, back I'll again.
0: Every got, time, Every man. time. We've got a really good show for you again this week. We are... Oh, before we get started, i am got to forget all the app Yeah, you've got
1: to do all the, do all the, the proper bit, stuff. The, the promo Professionalism
0: stuff. is important. <laughs> is key. I thought you think I'd be used to it by now. We've been doing it for like 19 <laughs> no. weeks. I mean,
1: yeah, other people might think you'd be used to it, but not me. Matt knows the truth. Matt's, Matt, knows the Matt truth. sees the
0: cutting room floor. <laughs> 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 so before we get started, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at IBL Podcast. We post links to the stories and things like that. Also, rate, review and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from to make sure you get the show every week because you wouldn't want to miss this quality content.
1: No, and this week is no exception. Look at that
0: professional, <laughs> done like a pro I know, I'm trying to move trying it to along ju- mate, we haven't we got time for this we time limit here, it's late in the day I'm supposed to have gone home by now <laughs> anyway, right, this week's show, really interesting stuff for you, as always, why would, why would it be any different, but this week we are going to be speaking to our reporter Emma Grimshaw who has, as you may have recently heard on the podcast, has recently had another child and she is going to be talking about her experiences with breastfeeding, it's really interesting but it's a really personal story as well so if it's ever something that interests you or if you're a parent they might have been through similar really good conversation so check that out and, and it's not you doing the interview and it's not me doing thank you for reminding me i completely forgot <laughs> so i was off again for two days this week of course of course i'm off all the time aren't i uh it was because i worked the weekend so i had a couple of days off this time actually so there okay <laughs> I'll let you off. I really don't like working the weekends. Uh, so my esteemed colleague, Alex Wood, has taken over interviewing duties for just for that one chat. He recorded it earlier this week while I was away. Um, we didn't want it to be sort of too jarring. So we got another Alex in. So at least it's yeah. similar in that way. Keep, I, it, keep, keep it, it in the Alex. Keep it in the Alex family. 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 It, that doesn't yeah, work. Sounds weird. <laughs> anyway, next up on the on the. Anyway, next up on the show, we are going to be hearing from our education reporter, Michael Yong. Uh, You will know Michael's voice by now. He's on here all the time. He's got fantastic stories. He talks about every week. This week, he is talking about education, which is something that, he obviously covers as his specialism along with all the other things that he does as well um he has been covering a massive court ruling which will have national implications for special needs kids and their education really really good from michael to hear him talk in depth about his coverage of that and what it means for the future of the country basically and then finally on this week's show we have drafted in two of our most experienced and expert, Uh, reporters. We've got Tristan Cork and Esme Ashcroft, our political editor, who are going to be talking about Metrobus. Now, I would love to be able to say that Metrobus is up and running and it's all going smoothly, but as you might have expected, that is not the case. So they talk us through the latest, what it means and what is next for the massive transport system, which is the biggest that Bristol's ever seen, basically. So, without further ado, let's get on with the show. I'm
2: Emma Grimshaw and I'm the Late Reporter slash Parenting Correspondent at Bristol Live.
3: It's quite a niche title. Yeah, that you've I've got worked going. hard for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what does it mean, just before we get on to the real subject of our conversation. Late reporter, what does that mean if anyone's listening and they're not?
2: So I work two till ten. I come in, come in when most people are going home and I cover like the graveyard shifts, but often there's quite a lot going on still. So there's a lot of breaking news as people are going home and breaking into the night as well.
3: And a bit more responsibility on you as well when there's less people yeah. around in the office to turn it's my to. my shoulders, yeah. <laughs> um, so glad it's in your capable hands, I think. Um, but you're here today to sort of talk us through an opinion piece that you wrote uh what was published last week i believe it was or at the weekend yeah last week um and it's also breastfeeding it is which is a subject close to your heart (laughs) of course i from from reading from the piece i gather that yeah um but why don't you just kick us off and tell us why why did you want to write something so personal
2: so it's world breastfeeding awareness week um so it's a time for like all mums to kind of say this is what we're doing this is why we're doing it. and and i guess it's important especially here in england to still talk about what we're doing because we've got such bad rates here compared to the rest of the world so it's a time really to be like hey this is why we're doing it and we you know it's time to be yeah, to basically bang the breastfeeding drum for everyone
3: absolutely and i mean i as a young male um, who does not have children, uh, my understanding of breastfeeding is fairly limited. I mean, I have to obviously rely on what I'm either told from other people, or if my mum has mentioned it, maybe. <laughs> but we're we're going back donkey's years here. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's very much I have to pick up what you know is happening in the media or in forums. If I look at things like that or on Facebook, it comes up. Um, but obviously, it's very much an issue you've got two your children yourself sure. and, and you you write in this piece about you know the the need um or the to break down the stigma attached yeah. to breastfeeding there is Why, huge, yeah. what is that
2: what? yeah I didn't really realize until I started breastfeeding myself like how what a gap there is between mums and people that have like researched the topic and the rest of the public. So yeah, if I'm sitting on a bus or sitting in a cafe and I decide to feed my child, you will get people looking at you all the time. Like people just can't help but look. And it's it is uncomfortable for the mum and it just makes you feel uneasy and I think it's just because they're not used to the image, that's... especially older children.
3: And you said you've had people actually tut at you.
2: Oh, yeah, in definitely tut. I mean, that's not it's it's just you get so used to it now it's not even shocking you like tutting and staring. You get used to like it's just one of those things when you're in public and people just can't help but be like, oh, I'm going to turn around. And it's it's not really their fault. I think it's completely the government's fault and the lack of resources they're putting into breastfeeding and making it like public health campaigns. Because in countries that do do it really well, um, they can completely turn the issue on the head and make it so so general that no one would look and no one would think twice about get yeah, feeding in public. Make and, it
3: the norm. That's yeah. incredible.
2: Like in Peru, they have breastfeeding competitions like annually. So women will just come out and they'll all just be sat there breastfeeding. <laughs> and stuff like that goes a massive way forward to like normalising the image, which we just don't have anything like that. It's actually still illegal in Parliament to breastfeed, which is outrageous. I, I, I saw
3: this. I mean, please yeah. tell me that's a one-off in that...
2: I think there's old laws that haven't been challenged and I think they're not challenged because they're not seen as important but I don't know whether some MPs do do it and nothing happens or if it's still very much like you can't do it here but until those laws are overturned it still gives the image to women that you can't do this and this isn't something that's appropriate and you should be sitting in a dark corner when you're feeding and that's... Very much because the government doesn't make it a priority mm. and it's really short-sighted because governments that have put a lot of money into public health campaigns have actually made it all back from like, la- like reduced hospital emissions and everything yeah, yeah. else and just healthier population as a yes. whole.
3: Wow. <laughs> um I mean when you talk about uh, experiences that you've had and you say how now you've just become so sort of used to if someone looks you know, or, or tuts or whatever, but when you were with your first child, and I suppose for the first time I, yeah, I yeah not
2: Yeah, it was so much harder. I didn't like if I had to get feed my child out I'd go, often go to the toilet I remember once I was sitting in Costa it was one of my first trips out with Annie and um, yeah I was just like so nervous because she was crying and I was like trying to tr- talk to my friend and I was like literally I'm just going to go to the toilet I'm going to feed her and I'll be back in a second and like I was just so uncomfortable with it and I just had no idea like if it was okay and like it didn't feel okay because there's there so many people looking and it felt like it was definitely something that I shouldn't be doing sat in the middle of a cafe yeah. but the more I read about it and the more I learned I was just like actually it's, everybody else's issue. it's not mine but you for me personally as well like I feed children both my children when they're past the age of one and you get a lot more looks the older they get and mm-hmm. a lot more people have something to say when you when you do start doing it and they're like oh you, you're still feeding and I get that from my family and from my friends and they're like oh so I see so you're still feeding are you and oh how's the feed? like how's their like eating going and stuff like that and they think because you're still feeding them breast There's, milk they're not eating properly and, wrong, and, yeah
3: and that assumption is I suppose is what you know world breastfeeding week is trying to challenge yeah, definitely. The UK is, yeah.
2: i mean i think our nhs only push it to six months and a lot of the older generation are like oh we well, past six months it doesn't have any you know health benefits and i've heard mm-hmm. that said before and that's just completely not true the, the actually the information out there is the longer you breastfeed the better it is for their health and the more benefits it's going to have for their health so that's all the way up until you want to stop, basically. So the World Health Organization recommends till two years, but say and beyond, because up until two years, it's recommended that you always give your baby milk and so if you stop breastfeeding you're gonna give them formula and formula is basically cow's milk that's been slightly adjusted for breast milk so it's ultimately always better to give your child breast milk if you can do it but that said it's so many mums stop because it is it is hard work and there's no pressure like I don't want them to feel like I'm trying to make them feel bad because often they do if you when you start promoting it you do make them feel Sorry, I feel really (laughs) awkward and it's really, that's not the way it should be coming across. Mm -hmm. Like it's all mums together and it's not like us versus them. It's just actually breastfeeding mums have a lot of challenges and the reason they try and say how healthy it is and try and, you know, promote it is just because we don't want that to be the way for Mm -hmm. the next generation. We want it to just be, I want my daughter to be able to say, if I want to breastfeed, great, and if I don't, that's fine too. They just... Shouldn't be the same challenges no. for both.
3: And your piece actually had a lot of figures, um, as you've just you've mentioned some of them there. But can you talk us through? You know, just as someone like I say with a limited understanding of breastfeeding, I assume when you know the baby's first born, yeah. the percentage of parents, mums that are breastfeeding is obviously probably its highest.
2: Yeah. So yeah. I think quite the message out there for the start, it's like, um I think I can't remember the the exact figures, but it was over sixty percent. We'll try something. and yeah. we'll try and start breastfeeding, that's brilliant. But then I think as well it's because of lack of support like when you get home it's it is really challenging they sleep a lot less when they when they haven't had formula mm. and it, it hurts and it's around the clock and you can't just pass on to your partner and so for all those reasons it is really hard and there needs to be a lot of support for mums that do decide to breastfeed and public health. like public spending for that is just going down and down and down we still Mm -hmm. got groups in Bristol and we're really lucky Um, but in terms of the information for mums like just warning them as well before you have a baby this is hard like that just doesn't happen like no one told me how hard it was going to be and once you start breastfeeding and you get into that world you learn a lot more but for first time mums that's just not there and it should be and that's probably why it goes down to I think it's just 2% of all babies are exclusively breastfed up to 6 months Wow just 2 and that, yeah, as that's, I said, and that's one of the lowest in the whole world. Wow. Um,
3: so we've got a long way to go. <laughs> a really if, long way. You know, we're to challenge that and yeah. see that figure rise. Sure.
2: Um, and, and, and obviously the World Health Organization recommends up to two years. So, I mean, we're talking about six months. So beyond quarter. that, we've got yeah. an even further way to go. I think I said less than 1% in my piece, but someone told me it was like 0.01%. But I didn't know if that was correct wow. or not. So I didn't put the exact Yeah. Um, but...
3: Um, you are trying to reach that two year mark um, yeah i'm yeah, my son is fourteen
2: year. months, so i 've got you know ten months to go we 'll see i mean i would, wouldn 't necessarily just stop when he went at twenty four as well with my first daughter, I got to eighteen months and then I became pregnant and yeah it was just feeling like i wasn't getting enough nutrients for me and the baby Mm. and i decided to stop but it was awful she was just like heartbroken and we had like months of no sleep while she was getting used to it and i still regret it now because she went through such an awful time with it and i just felt like i stopped it too early and like too suddenly um so yeah this time Mm. around we'll see
3: so uh, again complete novice (laughs) in this field i mean i've read about the benefits of breast milk as opposed to formula. Um, I mean, can you talk, and I suppose that's well documented, but what what is it that breast milk offers a baby during those sort of key development stages that sure. maybe formula won't?
2: So I think breast milk has just it's just been like completely developed for every, every need the baby could have. So it's supposed to boost their immune system and it does this by giving the baby good germs as well that Formula milk just doesn't have it, and so that mm-hmm. like formula and breast milk have similar nutrients, but they don't have any of like the good germs that breast milk has, and also like if if my baby had an illness and I've and I've had the illness before, like a cold or something. My body will find the antibodies, and it will give it back Aye. to the baby. And So there's this all interaction, and it's not just actually what we give to the baby, but the baby makes the mum healthier as well. Like mm. we, it, there's like research that says it reduces our chances of breast cancer and some other types of cancer as well. Yeah, so yeah. it's it's really amazing what the body can do and what it does instinctively when you are breastfeeding. It's like a two-way amazing yeah. journey that you go on. and it's like, yeah,
3: It's like evolved for babies. Yeah, it's like everything that they would existed.
2: need. Yeah, which obviously cow's milk, it, well, formula is developed for cows and for everything that cows could eat. Mm. So it's completely... The a, wrong. And, yeah. and you get called strange for feeding your baby who's two or your child who's two, when really the strange thing is giving your baby like, milk for I've cows. i never thought
3: of it in that. Yeah. when you put it like that though it sounds so obvious that more people should be open to the idea of breastfeeding for longer
2: definitely and and like you get ridiculed and it's in like in the mass media if you've got like a child being fed at three or four it's like instantly ridiculed and and before I became a mum I always thought it looked strange and I remember watching documentaries when I was younger thinking oh yeah that's like almost like child abuse like that poor child is like but now I just see it completely on the other side and I'm like why would why is that like Weird, and why? Why aren't we used to that image? That should be something that the public is used to seeing, and mm. it shouldn't be, you know, like frowned upon or ridiculed. And it's actually just a mum doing, giving this amazing sacrifice for the child. Thing, isn't it, this yeah. Thing? yeah, and and it is a massive sacrifice for the, the mum and to have to do that and give up so much for her own personal time, and at the same time, face like ridicule from mm. the wider society it makes it doubly or the worse. Yeah,
3: and that ridicule, I mean, does it come from a certain? Part of society, or do you feel it's actually quite widespread? Both, you know, different ages, um, different sexes. Do you find this is both men and women that judge you for
2: it? Definitely, men and women. And as I said before, it's very much with the government to, to actually mm. stand up like obviously mums are doing their part and being like I'm going to breastfeed and I'm going to try and ma- normalise the image but if the government would put some money behind it like um, in Brazil they had they used to have some of the worst rates in the whole of the world as well and their government really ploughed money into it and now they've got some of the best and they've also got breastfeeding banks where people can go to if they don't decide they don't want to breastfeed they can go to it and get milk for their baby and, and you know they're really leading the way now mm. so actually a bit of money from the government can, can transform the situation Sure
3: and is that and, and support from the government, um, also looking at education and, you know, right across the yeah, board, men and women can, and trying to normalise what is, you know, as you yeah. said, one of the most natural things a human can do.
2: Definitely. And for this piece as well, I don't know if you saw, but there's a gallery and I put a shout out on Bristol's mom, um, breastfeeding page, and it's just amazing the response. Like, like there's this is a really amazing community, all helping each other and supporting each other, and that's something you don't really get with, with many stories when you're putting no, a shout out. No. But <laughs> like, there are so many mums doing amazing work around the hours, and it was I was just so grateful for everyone that posted their pictures and really like, that's yeah, brilliant. came out and showed you know them breastfeeding at weddings and breastfeeding in parks, and yeah, it's really inspiring to see. You know, it is all rare. Different ages. It is yeah. rare. When
3: some, certainly, when things carry over to social media, we know how how toxic social media can mm-hmm. be sometimes with people and their views. But um, in groups that you're in, then, would you say, you know, this piece is... Uh, and just generally, the, the conversation around breastfeeding is quite positive.
2: Definitely. and But it is kind of like I'm already talking to the preached, if you like because I see, yeah. if you're in a breastfeeding page like everyone's doing it and everyone understands like how important it is and so it's really reaching the people beyond that that's mm. kind of a challenge but another like part of it is I did have moms say oh I only did one month I've kind of failed or I did two and it's, it's just not about that at all like whatever you did is amazing or or didn't do or couldn't do that it's just more about supporting the ones that want to do it that that can't do it or that don't feel like they have the support or don't realise that, you know, it's such a normal thing or, or maybe mm. feel like it's too much of it. Like they don't feel comfortable doing it in public and it's making them feel like just go and do it and don't worry about what everyone's like doing around you. Just, it's, you're, you're the one who's doing the right thing. And yeah. everybody else kind of needs to catch up. That, yeah.
3: yeah. Um, well, thank you for okay, for talking about <laughs> something, you know, that is incredibly personal, but to have the courage to, to talk about it so openly both, on the website and on the podcast with someone are, who's yeah. <laughs> clearly not uh and promoting in the know. breastfeed
2: is something I enjoy doing so yeah it just Good. feels very um, natural to do. And
3: too. just before I let you go the, the final question I had really was just a general question about our role as reporters and having a platform to talk about and, and put out opinion pieces like you've done. Mm. Um, and I suspect that's not the first about parenting yeah. that you'll have written um, sure. here. Do you think, you know, that is an important part of Local journalism and reaching our audiences in terms of, you know, being honest with them and talking about things that affect us in our day to day lives. Do you think that's something we should
4: do? Yeah, I think
2: everybody likes to hear a personal piece about, you know, how you've experienced, especially with something like breastfeeding, because you can report the facts and figures, but you like the the, the account of actually this is what I've been through and this is what I'm going through. Like, we know as reporters, like, if you've got a person to the facts and figures, like, if you can find. I don't know, whatever story you're doing and someone say, yeah, this is a problem or this is what we should be doing. It it speaks a lot louder, doesn't it? Um, Absolutely. But obviously, you as a reporter, you don't want to make it all about yourself. <laughs> um, so, the, yeah, it's, it's striking the balance.
3: Sure. Well, you definitely did that. So <laughs> thank you for yeah being so honest with us. Oh, thank um, you
2: for listening. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So thank you very much to Alex Wood and Emma there for talking about that really personal experience when it comes to breastfeeding. Really good chat there. Right, let's jump straight into our next conversation, which is with our education reporter, Michael Yong, talking about special needs cuts.
4: Uh, Hi, I am Michael Yong. I'm the education reporter
0: on Bristol Life. And Michael, we have you on talking about just about... Everything, whenever you're on. You've been complaining that you're on too much, which I I think our our fans will disagree with, our listeners will disagree with. There's been a suggestion that we get you on to do your own cooking segment, actually, because apparently you're quite a master in the kitchen.
4: I just made Thai green curry pizza.
0: Oh, that sounds fantastic. I've had your pizzas actually on the weekend and they are really good. They are really good, yeah. Uh, Sadly, we're we're not here to talk about your pizza recipes, but you've had a really big story over the last week that has been breaking and it has, has gone everywhere mm-hmm. and has massive implications for the whole country, basically, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Can you talk us through a little bit about what it is?
5: Yeah,
4: so uh, quite simply, two mums in Bristol took Bristol City Council to High Court for judicial review into a sort of £5 million funding cuts for special education needs and children with disabilities. And that £5 million cut was going to start in 2018 and nineteen. And these parents were not happy about it. They knew it was going to impact hundreds of children in Bristol. uh, And so they decided to take action. What that meant was it led, one thing led to another. And then parents all across the country actually just realised, wait a minute, our council's doing this as well. So they started launching their own cases. The thing is, Bristol was the first to have their case heard um, in high court. This happened last week. uh, And... um, they won their case essentially. It took uh it was just a day's hearing. Um and if we were perf- if I'm perfectly honest, uh my opinion wise, we and the, the parents did not think they would win and um they weren't totally confident because it has never been done before. Uh, but it did. And the judge agreed with them and they've now told Bristol City Council to reverse their cuts and find the money somewhere and put it back into the budget. Now, 5000000 million doesn't sound like a lot in the grand scheme of things, but for the high-needs budget, which is the budget for children with special education needs, it is one-tenth of the budget. When you take 10% out of something, there are huge implications on other public sector services, like the NHS. You can imagine places like care homes and places like playgroups, nurseries. This does not impact just children with special education needs. When a child with special education needs go to a mainstream school and does not uh, get the support him or you know, she needs, they disrupt the class and affects all children. It causes a problem for the teacher, causes a problem for the head teacher um, and cause obviously parents uh, problems for the parents. So, yeah, it's, it's not just about with special needs. It's all
0: children, really. So if the cuts had gone ahead, what would it have meant for kids with special needs? How would it have impacted Mm -hmm. their day-to-day lives? So uh, keeping in mind, this 5
4: million is not the first time the budget's been cut. The budget's been cut before. This is the first time it's in such a public eye, really. Um, At the moment, you can tell you that schools are struggling to provide special education needs coordinators, behaviour management teams, all of these services, if you like, which used to be available by the council are no longer available. Now, schools have their budgets cut over the last five years in real terms anyway, so they haven't got the money for extra services that used to be provided for by the council. So, you know, in a day-to-day life, imagine if you had a kid with special needs, they go to class and they haven't got their uh, SENCO, it's a special education needs coordinator with them, and they struggle to pay attention to what the teacher is saying and they children with autism tend to have a short attention span so they then struggle with that it disrupts the rest of the class then the school say look we can't handle him or her we're gonna have to exclude them so they don't get to come to school one of the mums her son had only been in school six days in a term that's a week in a 10 week term that is unbelievable when you think about it. So for the rest of the nine weeks, the boy's at home and the mum's having to cope with him at home. When he needs to be in school learning, he needs to be in school developing, he needs to be in school you know, reading, writing. And he can. It's just he needs that extra help and that extra help's not there.
0: So does this impact mainstream schools specifically or is it for special needs schools as well? Is it sort of across Both. the board? Both, yes. So um, part of the cuts
4: are going to, be coming from special needs were going to be coming from special needs schools and part of the cuts were then going to be coming from mainstream schools as well the majority of the cuts were actually coming from mainstream schools it's something called a top-up budget where if a school comes back to the local authority and say i need some help with a special needs coordinator because i've got this pupil and needs one-to-one help then the council would usually say here's a bit of money you know you sort it out the problem is now the council's saying we haven't got the money. Part of that reason is, you know, the government cuts, really.
0: So it is worth saying, isn't it, that councils across the country have been facing absolutely massive funding cuts from central government. This has been t- taking place since about 2010, isn't it, since mm. austerity came in. The government have been giving less and less money to councils mm. and the councils are given a choice over how they reduce their own budgets, aren't they? That's right, but, yeah. but the short of it is they have to reduce their budgets because mm. of these cuts. And councils have tried all sorts of different things, haven't they? You know, things like the the library cuts are one of the, mm. one of the options. But then obviously, Bristol City Council has attempted to cut funding to the most vulnerable kids, you, really, isn't it? You're right.
4: I mean, in terms of schools, it's a different set of what we call a grant, and uh, we're getting very technical here, but it's a different sort of grant to the rest of the council budget. It is ring-fence. It's called the Dedicated Schools Grant, which is DSG for short. A lot of, you're going to have a lot of acronyms on this. <laughs> but the, the Dedicated Schools Grant essentially is meant just for schools that are run by the council, so not academies, mostly primary schools in Bristol sense. So uh, that grant is then decided upon by government given to the council and the council has to think where the money is going to go so sadly they've decided to take it from like you mentioned the the most vulnerable children
0: and so this judicial review then i'm assuming it was quite a long process up to that point as well isn't it because these things take a lot of preparation there's a lot of behind the scenes work that takes place before you get to the actual day in court which happened on friday just gone didn't it what was the aim of the parents taking this to court Well, they don't want any other
4: parents with special needs children who might be going into the education system to face the same problems they have. I spoke to one of the mums, uh, she cannot be named for legal reasons, but when you, when you hear her story and her struggle, you know, six days in a term, struggling to put him in a special school, he still doesn't know which school he's going to next term. And you think, ah, oh, this is one mum. It's not. There are hundreds of mums who are going through the same um, issue. So that's that. That really is a problem, um, and it just to get, give you an understanding of it, you know, when I tweeted out the judgment right after coming out of court, and I have to say, very disappointed, no one else was in court but me for the judgment. Um, but when I tweeted out the judgment, uh, the it just went viral within that weekend. You know, we've had hundreds of parents contact me as as we speak I've had I'm working on five different special needs cases on the back of that one story it doesn't sound like a lot but it takes for a lot for somebody to come forward and talk to a journalist about something very personal so you know at the same at the same time you've got to understand this is not just affecting special needs children it affects all children yeah
0: and so what is a judicial review as well what's sort of hmm. the the point of them a judicial review is essentially like a court case
4: uh, in high court to get a council or a statutory authority to statutory authority, uh, authority, you know, to reverse or change something because on a point of law. So in in this case, it was uh, the lack of consultation, and also it was, I guess, part of the lack of consultation was ignoring what head teachers and governors were telling the council. So there's a group, there's a statutory body in Bristol Council. Call the schools forum and they're made up of head teachers, governors and a cabinet member for education, um, Councillor Anna Keane. And what they have to do is they talk about the budget and then the head teachers say, this is not going to work. So tells Councillor Keane, you need to tell Mayor Marvin Rees that this is not going to work. Unfortunately, she it sounds like she did not. And either she did not Or at the cabinet meeting, they've decided not to hear it. One or the other, and sadly, did not then decide to go and talk to parents about it and make the cuts without thinking that any parents would know what was going on. The best thing about parents these days is they are so clued up, and especially especially children, parents of children with special needs, because they have to learn legislation because they can't afford a lawyer. They have a lot of other things they need to spend money on. And they are so clued up. To legislation and council documents when they are applying for special help for their children that they immediately know that this was a problem. And so the budget was set in February. By April, the legal case had been brought. And now, you know, that was three months. It is unbelievably quick. But it was a lot of hard work from a lot of parents that went into this judicial review. And, you know, the strength of feeling is there, certainly, yeah.
0: And so, what does it mean for the future of of edu- you know of special needs education in Bristol, but also across the country as well? Because it's, mm. any point of law that is made in the way that this has been made has huge ramifications, doesn't it? Because it basically Absolutely. makes it a nationwide ruling. Yeah, it
4: is case law now. So what what you have, you know, when when I tweet or when I say there's a set of precedent, it's no joke. From the moment I walked back, you know, when I was walking back, I was hearing about judicial reviews being launched in Surrey, Hackney. Trafford was looking at uh, parents in Trafford in Manchester. We're looking to do it. Uh, Norfolk have similar problems. Someone rang me up from Swindon looking to do something similar. I had two parents from Western Super Mayor thinking about doing the same thing to North Somerset Council. I've had problems in South Gloucestershire Council. Problems in Cornwall. And immediately all these just came in and everyone just went, you have no idea how massive this is because we are launching judicial reviews everywhere. And now I know that quite a few boroughs in London are looking to come together to launch a judicial review against the government. And this Bristol case is going to set the basis for all of that. You know, people play it down, but what it means is what happened here it's going to determine what happens in all of these other cases that's huge for bristol
0: and as education reporter here at bristol live as well this must be quite a big moment for you as well you know like you said mm. you were the only person in court that was covering this and it is going to go everywhere it already has gone everywhere people have been talking mm. about this online constantly since it happened i've noticed mm. how was it for you sort of being sat there in that moment and realizing that it was going to be something big um, I
4: knew it was something big from the moment it was launched and we exclusively revealed that a judicial review was going to be launched against Bristol City Council. Um, to be fair, we got it from the lawyers of the mums who were taking it and, you know, it helped it helped them, let's be honest. Um, when we did the first two stories, which essentially one of it was the mum's view and, you know, she briefly came out to tell her story. It did not gather that much interest, if I'm perfectly honest. But I knew immediately that it was a massive story. Uh, it was a gut feeling. I went to ten the hearing. Certainly, there were no mainstream media, if you like, at the hearing. There was us and the Bristol Cable, and a, a bit shout out to Lorna Stevenson, who you know at the cable, who who really understood the issue as well. And and she was there, and, and I was there throughout the entire way. And let's be honest, it was a lot of legal jargon, a lot of legal arguments. It's not like a court hearing. It's not like Ben Stokes. <laughs> it's it's nothing like Crown Court. Um, it was it was all about legal stuff. And so you had to know what you, what they were talking about. I was there for a good part of six hours trying to understand that. Then obviously the judgment and trying to understand the judgment. And it was, it was great. I had a court clerk actually sit down with the judgment and explain to me the legal terms behind it. I'm no lawyer, but... But you know, hopefully hopefully I'll put it out in a concise manner that people can understand. And yeah, it, it went it went everywhere. It, it it um it became a talking point throughout the entire weekend. And it went on the BBC a couple of hours later, uh, yeah, it became a mess of thing.
0: Do you feel that it really shows the importance of local media for these sort of things, and particularly when covering something specialist like education? Because like you said, really in-depth, really technical, even yourself with all your expertise, you know, had to be talked through it. Mm. Does it really show the importance of local media, do you think, in in getting behind these closed doors, you know, and getting into courts and bringing it to a wider audience? Absolutely
4: crucial because the mum who brought the legal challenge did not want to talk to anyone else else but us. Not me, not me specifically because she did not know me but she knew the Bristol Post and she was happy to talk to the Bristol Post. I just happened to be one of the reporters on the Bristol Post and uh, she trusted the Bristol Post to tell that story in a certain way. At the same time, you know, there is our responsibility to make sure when I was talking to her, everything she was telling me that could possibly identify her, I had to tell her stop or anything that she told me that was perhaps a little bit too sensitive. I went, maybe you do not want to say that. And most journalists might not say that if you did not have that responsibility to a certain city or or a certain community. We do. And that's the important thing here. I mean, local journalism is key when it comes to covering um, the day to day running of courts. You know, our, our court reporter, Jeff Bennett, does an incredible job. And that is an important part of the judicial system and an important part of democracy. So yeah
0: and we we obviously will live and work in the community that we that we write about as well don't we and Hopefully so yeah. <laughs> so you have to you have to have a relationship with people as well don't you more so than you might do if you worked in maybe specialist media because there's you know there's uh, educational newspapers specifically mm-hmm. isn't there and then there's also national newspapers but we're so close to the people that we work with mm-hmm. that we really do have to maintain a good relationship and like you say you you have to speak to people on more equal terms, I suppose, don't you? You know, mm. when you're speaking to a mum like that, that you have to it have was, a relationship with them.
4: It was very interesting when you talk about relationship because a lot of the parents, uh, when I first met them, didn't think I was going to show up, uh, which was quite sad to hear.
0: They go show they don't know you as well. You show up to every yeah, meet in Yonge.
4: But they, uh, <laughs> I, I tried to, but they um, obviously got to know me by, by the end of that day. And it was really good to sit down and have a chat with them. I have so much respect for parents who dare to stand up for what they believe to be right, especially for their children, because the the fact is, nobody else will. And I have so much respect and time for that. You must not forget that many of these parents are working parents. They decide to make a stand because, not because of themselves. These two mums are not going to get any financial benefit from it. No one's going to get any financial benefit from it. The lawyers had to use legal aid to get themselves paid. This is literally for the children. In fact, if anything, taxpayers are paying for the council's lawyers. So, <laughs> yeah,
0: that's funny so, irony. Uh, so there, this isn't the end of this at all, is it? Are you going to be no. chasing this to the end of the earth?
4: Yeah, we, we already had an uh, investigation into it after the court case. Um, our data unit and myself, we were looking into how many children with special needs were excluded from schools on um, a fixed term or a permanent exclusion. And Bristol does not come out good in those those stats. Um, That, again, is an exclusive, is an investigation. People say local journalism don't normally do investigations. We don't do it as often as we used to, but we still do, especially on big issues like that. Yeah.
0: And one final thing, it's uh, Balloon Fiesta this weekend. Yay. Always a highlight for me. Are you going? Are you going to try and catch any balloons or any of the nightclothes? Yeah, absolutely. It's, for me,
4: this is the best festival um, for Bristol. I I look forward to this festival more than any other festival in Bristol. Uh, it's because of what it brings. The vibe's always really good. There's never any problems, really, and uh, or trouble, you know. And it's just a wonderful thing to be a part of. I mean, when you watch... 160 billions float over Bristol. And you live in Bristol, you can't see this anywhere else in the world. Let's put it, let's put it that way. Like you, you, you could go to the one in America. And it doesn't float over houses like that of such densely populated city. It's just glorious.
0: It's so good. I've never seen anything like it either. Yeah. You know, it would be a long time if you left Bristol. it Would be a long time before you ever saw anything like that yeah. again, wouldn't
4: it? Yeah, I will. I will miss it greatly if I ever ever have to leave Bristol. But yeah, I will. I will definitely miss it greatly. Is, it's one of the highlights of the year.
0: It's just typical that it hasn't rained for about three months and now we get to the week of balloon fiesta oh. and the weather's turned, but hopefully we'll get some flying All and fingers and toes crossed yeah. honestly. Someone yeah. set up a Twitter account called Windy McWindface last year because <laughs> the wind kept interfering with the, with the take-off, which I was know, fantastic. I
4: know. The wind should just stop. It should be nice, sunny. We should have a launch every single night, every single morning. I should put a big Perfect. wall
0: around Bristol temporarily just to stop the wind coming <laughs> in. <laughs> yeah. Yongi, thanks very much for joining me on the show. No worries. Michael has been doing really, really fantastic work around that whole court case, so thanks so much to him for coming on to explain it to us. Right, let's jump into our final conversation where we are going to be talking about Metrobus and whether it's actually going to work. Guys, if you can give me your name and job titles, please.
6: Oh, Age Before Beauty.
5: Um. (laughs) What a start. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm Tristan Cork. I'm a reporter at Bristol Live.
6: And my name's Esme Ashcroft. I'm the political editor for Bristol Life.
5: We're going with editor, are we?
6: We're going with editor, yeah.
5: Giving yourself a promotion.
6: Hey, it's what it says in the paper.
0: <laughs> so guys, we are here to talk about Metrobus, which we've spoken about it a couple of times before. And as much as I would like to say it's up and running and fully finished, we're still not quite there yet, are we? Mm,
6: no. no. But- we've got one... One kind of arm. One open. wing of it. And I can't remember
0: <laughs> in which order they were supposed to start, but it wasn't the order that they have currently started in, the roots. was no. it? No.
5: It's going to go 3-2-1. Uh, three three
0: two two one. One. Back to front, 3-2-1. How two weird one. is that? Yeah. At least uh, that's a slightly more kind of ordered than it could have been. It? Yeah. it could have been all over the it place. It's supposed so to
5: it was... be two, three, one. Mm-hmm. then it's three, two, one. That's surely purely by design, I imagine, yeah. as well. they, Of course. They, they intended yeah. that. They're but, going uh, retro for like Dusty Bin and stuff. Mm. <laughs> so what's the latest update from...
0: Metrobus then. So we've got one route running currently, haven't we? We've
6: got the M three running. That launched in May. And now we are talking about the launch of the M two route, which Tristan quite rightly said was meant to be the first route. And that's going to kick off on September the third, the Monday.
0: So is it starting off with the the route that has already started, which is the <laughs> route from Emerson's Green over to is it Temple Meads that it stops at? Is that where it yeah, yeah, it's the
6: city centre. Yeah
0: how has it been received? How's it going? Is it working?
6: Well, I mean, if you ask Metrobus themselves, they will, of course, say very positive things, you know, 120,000 passengers in the first couple of months. And do you know, I think I haven't heard anything too negative. But at the end of the day, it is a, a bus service. So it's a bus. I think sometimes people get a On it and are perhaps a little bit underwhelmed, thinking it would be slightly fancier and
0: expecting it to be like the you know the proposed system in China where it's a device that goes over the top of Mm. cars on two rails. People might think it's going to be like that. No,
6: it's nothing like that. It it will if you're looking at it, it will
5: just look like a normal bus. Have you used it, guys? Have you had a chance to get on it yet? No, but I have been on a bus before. <laughs> so I know what it's like. You're
6: quite irregular on the bus. Yeah, I am.
0: I go on buses every day. Do you think you can transfer those skills over to Metrobus, yeah. and mm. you should be
5: able to the, use them? The key difference I've seen so far is that it's got two doors: one to mm. get on, and then another door to get off. See, there's Londoners that are just going to be laughing at us because mm. we're
6: going
0: to be, you know, there'll be mm. Bristolians. Somebody confused. mentioned
6: on Twitter, didn't they? USBs, but actually, quite a few of yeah. the regular bus. Now yeah, the new, new buses now have usbs so not
5: the, even that the some new buses have got two doors but they don't open the back one mm-hmm. but the problem that i've found with the, se- the second door getting off is that you can't say cheers drive anymore yeah no. i know yeah. you're a long a way Bristol from the bus tradition driver. Yeah. yeah it's gonna die out with Do you know what, that's bus. the problem that i've always had on london buses where i've gone to
0: get off and say cheers drive and there's no one there you anything. could kind of yell it maybe yeah, yeah or you need like an intercom system you just press it cheers drive <laughs> yeah <laughs> as you get off i'm i've sort of It could be a motto for Metrobus, but it's close, but no cigar for me because I'm in Loch Lees. And so the Metrobus comes near-ish to UWE, Mm. but I'd have to add about 10 minutes to get to it. And so I haven't bothered. I just get the 24 like I normally Mm. would. So I kind of can't quite get to get to use it yet, which is Mm. a bit of a shame.
6: I mean, I haven't obviously that one of the big differences between kind of your regular bus routes and the Metrobus services is this, you know ticketless um, mm. journeys and the fact that you're buying your tickets before you board the bus. So that's one of the reasons for how it's meant to kind of increase the reliability and speed. Um, I haven't heard too many issues with that system yet, but like I said, it is only the M3 route which has started and it's predominantly used by students. So who are going to be quite tech savvy, probably already going to have like mobile bus ticketing apps anyway so it'll be interesting as we get further so the, the M1 route which is the kind of the arterial route from Cribs all the way down to South Bristol to see how the ticketing goes down there
5: It's um, expanding for September isn't it? Mm. So that, the M3 because mm-hmm. yeah. that's when the students will be back That's
6: so. when the students will be back Um, increasing services and um, running on Sundays as well I think
5: so, the next step
0: is the long awaited service for South Bristol, then, which Tristan, I'm sure you've been
5: well yeah. excited about. So, Esme, Esme broke this story of when it is going to launch, which is
6: September the 3rd.
5: Monday, September the 3rd. And it um, runs from Long Ashton Park and Ride uh, into the city centre on what is probably the longest section of bespoke Metro bus.
6: Yeah. You've got the bus rails. Yeah. Now that's the jazzy part yeah. of Metrobus. You're the the bus rails and the wonderful flyover bridge. Roller coaster, the bridge
5: looks, looks lovely. Yeah. It looks yeah. lovely. <laughs> so this is the bridge that goes over the railway line. Um that doesn't is a good line to Portshead, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um and it goes over that, turns left, goes down under goes alongside Winterstoke Road and Ashton Gate Stadium, and then underneath the Brunel Way. Spaghetti Junction business there and then comes back up to ground level and goes over the Ashton Swing Bridge, and that is all guided. Yes. Mile and a half of it is Mm -hmm. guided. Now, the whole of Metrobus was supposed to be guided at the start.
6: At its in, you know, when we're talking first iterations, when we were thinking it was going to be some kind of tram bus hybrid type situation and we're going back to kind of you yeah. know the 90s here when we were first talking about a mass transit route for Bristol so yes initially um, a lot of it or m- the majority of it was going to be guided that turned out to be very expensive so it was kind of scaled down quite significantly and now we're left with this kind of just over a mile of guided.
5: Yeah it's a mile and a half and, and ironically it's en- enough that's what's caused all the delays to the M2 route.
6: Yes yeah so there was an issue in terms of... So the way that the guided bus route works is that the buses kind of attach onto the guided bus rail with these tiny little wheels. So you have to get the buses on to the guided buses bus rail. Now, there is an industry standard which is used across the world for these types of things, but for some reason Bristol decided not to use that standard and has gone kind of bespoke... That's the most Bristolian thing I've ever heard. Um, We would, wouldn't we? And the buses, as a result, um, their kind of wheels—they weren't aligned properly. So, the councils have had to spend an extra two hundred thousand on getting that correct. Um, But I should say that that won't increase the overall budget because that two hundred thousand comes out of the contingency fund. But Metrobus as a whole is running thirty million over budget.
5: Ouch. Would it, sorry, I'm asking the questions here. <laughs> is me a Would it be fair trip. to say that back in the day, the guided bit of the bus, sk- the whole project, was the thing that set it apart from just being we're going to spend 200 million pounds improving bus yes. buses in, in Bristol, and that's what may that's what prompted the government to give the money and get behind the project.
6: I don't know if that specifically was what prompted the government to give the project but give money to the project but yes the guided aspect of it was what was going to make it unique as opposed to just more bus lanes because on the guided bus sections you can only have metro buses whereas on bus lanes you can still even metro bus lanes you can still have ambulances cyclists you know all the people that would use a regular bus lane
5: so that moves us on to the next part of the problem so because so what I've been so Esme's been doing that bit of the story um about overall she's on top of the overall metro bus saga the bigger, picture. the bigger picture I've been doing stories for a while about the issues surrounding two things one is the Long Ashton park and ride and second is the um the whole issue of people going to and from matches at Ashton Gate now I live in near Ashton Gate and I uh, go to watch matches, Bristol city games um, and a lot of um, I'll ignore that. <laughs> a, lot of, uh, a lot of people. So I think people who live around there have been complaining, especially since the stadium got bigger to 27,000, 27,000 people get into Ashton Gate now Um since that happened, there's been a bigger problem with uh, resi- uh, with park match day parking. There's a problem in BS3 generally about parking in the Victorian Terrace streets, definitely. Anyway, um, and Metrobus was seen and and the o- and the Long Ashton Park and Ride was seen as the long one of the main long term answers to this issue. I I'm firmly of the belief, and I try want to try and move it away from football fans versus local residents, because I think that actually there's a lot of people who are both like me, and also a lo- uh, I think both sides of that debate want the same thing, so it shouldn't really be a debate. What they want is um, people to be able to come to games and have somewhere safe and secure uh, to park that's convenient and also um, won't block the roads for buses and fire engines, which is what's happening at the moment. So Metrobus announced the M2 that Esme broke that story um and the very first thing i looked at was how is it going to serve ashton gate stadium and the answer came that it isn't (laughs) so so it's 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 a very interesting one um and we're going to get a bit technical here about the different kinds of things what metrobus is for so metrobus is mainly in fact almost completely a commuter Mm -hmm. thing so it's designed to take people sort of nine to five from outside the city to inside the city centre and throughout the day you know people going shopping or people you know it's, it's effectively a park and ride thing that's a different challenge to meet than 15 twenty thousand people leaving the same place at the same time which would be the same for the arena mm-hmm. the same for the balloon fiesta this weekend that's happening and metrobus has a stop on it just over the river, over this swing bridge called that they've called Ashton Gate. It's actually about a ten-minute walk from Ashton Gate, so it's not too far. Um, it's in around the back of a little development of flats called Paxton Drive, I think. Moving large numbers of people who leave a venue at the same time. This is going to be the problem that the arena has. When wherever it is built, it's a problem for the Bloom Fiesta this weekend, and it's an issue every uh, every other Saturday or every other week for um, for Ashton Gate and Bristol City. There is a precedent for this, so they've named this station this stop on the Metrobus Ashton Gate, but they it clearly is not. They're not um, gearing it up to be capable of taking large numbers of people or even small numbers of people from Ashton Gate back into Temple Meads or back up to the Long Ashton Park and Ride where they might have parked. Um, the reason we know this is because first thing that you notice is that it doesn't run on Sundays. The second thing you notice is it stops um, roughly about half nine, between half nine and quarter to ten, so that any weekday evening matches that finish at about about that time you would really struggle to get out of the game at the final whistle, peg it up to um Ashton Gate's Metrobus stop and get back into Temple Meads. And it's not working on public holidays, bank holidays when there's a lot of football, you know, like Easter Monday, Boxing Day, whatever. Um and the only so the only the only time you can actually physically use it for Ashton, to attend a match at Ashton Gate is if it kicks off on Saturday afternoon which fewer and fewer Bristol I mean, City games do because they're so successful now, Alex. They're so, Bristol <laughs> City They're so successful. They get a lot Debatable. of games now on Sky TV, which I don't think has ever visited the Memorial Ground. But anyway.
6: <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how many... How many fans do
0: they get? The men. It's um it's it's probably worth pointing out that I have no interest in football whatsoever. I just have an interest in wine and interest enough. <laughs> <It> <laughs> so I couldn't the reason I didn't retort with how many millions of fans the men oh, get yeah. is because I don't have a clue I haven't been since I was eleven.
5: <laughs> anyway, right, so um so, so because Sky are televising more Bristol City games is more on a Friday night um or on a Sunday afternoon and the Metrobus does not even serve that, but even on a Saturday game there's only, they're, they're still going to stick to the timetable, which is, I've got it right here. On a Saturday, there is a bus every, between 10 and 6, 6 o'clock, um, there's a bus every 12 minutes. And after 6, 12pm, there's a bus every 20 minutes. So that's one bus It's going to rock up at the Ashton Gate Stadium Ashton Gate Stadium stop and go back up to Temple Meads. And that's, so obviously, you know, that's only 50, 60, 70 people maybe um, every 10 uh, every 12 to 20 minutes now why is that um why can't they provide more um so th- is, as an example to uh, this weekend um after the night glows at the bloom fiesta there is uh, the buses there are loads of buses that come along and people queue up and everything on the on the little roundabout by yui um on the entrance to ashton court and uh, there's loads of buses come along. It is a long queue, people do have to wait, but they, they successfully transit that many people, thousands of people, by just piling in loads of buses, as many as they can get, and they, they go off there, and you know that, that, it kind of works. People walk, they don't want people to drive, but people do drive, and there's a car park there, but, so it's, one of an, it's an option to get a bus, and they put pile on loads of buses. With the Metro bus, here's, where, <laughs> here's the rub, because it's on a guided busway and because the Ashton Swing Bridge that has been restored is too low that the the clearance on it is too low for a regular bus a regular normal first bus that they would use on on the road they they can't just pile bu- buses onto the metrobus track to uh, when there's events on Ashton Gate okay So they can't physically do it. The buses wouldn't get on there. They can't drive even a single Delca bus because there's this guided bus rail. So it means that there isn't any capacity at all. It's not flexible um, to deal with events at Ashton Gate. And it's a a, a huge irony that the thing, that's why I was asking about the guided bus rail, is the thing that made Metrobus special is the thing that makes it, Rubbish <laughs> to deal with things at Ashton Gate, and it's so, not. Sorry,
6: go. So, no, I was just going to ask Tristan, what do you think the solution is for kind of mass transit after football That's matches? It. Is Ugh. it trains? Is it?
5: Yeah, the long term solution. Mm-hmm. I think the main one has got to be reopening Ashton Gate Station, mm-hmm. um, the which
6: is something that is being looked at. It's being say. looked at,
5: but it's it's died a death recently with the Portis Headline not being.
6: Yeah, the Metro West, the
5: Metro West scheme not happening. Um, well, postponed. Parsons Street Station is the nearest station to Ashton Gate. is on the main Bristol to Western line. And that is packed. Mm. Um, and GWR do put on, um, for certain get big games, they will put on extra trains that call it Parson Street. Maybe it's just one or two, but that's, you know, a train can take hundreds of people yeah. as a bus can only take. There is a precedent for this Now I've had long conversations with the people from Metrobus And they have pointed out things that actually I do already know Because um, I've come from a family of uh, Arsenal fans And (laughs) Arsenal moved their stadium just across the the railway line And put it quite close to Holloway Road tube station Right, It's literally come out of the tube station and it's right there for, for home games at Arsenal, and this is true for other places, including, I understand, Coventry, where they built the stadium by a train station. They don't, they closed the train station. You can't use the train station to go to, Ars- you can't use Holloway Road to go to Arsenal Stadium because if they opened it, too many people would. So there's a crowd control mm. issue there. Okay, so what they say is we're closing this one. Use the two either side or even, you know, a bit further. Next one at Finsbury Park, Arsenal. Um, I can't remember. Caledonian Road is the other one. So if you and it kind of filters the people, they have a choice. Then they go to one or the other and it's less of a crush. Um, So the reasoning behind Having having Metrobus specifically not for Ashton Gate Stadium matches is because if they put on loads of buses there, or if they said use Metrobus to go out in and out of Ashton Gate Stadium, there would be a huge queue. There would be and the state the little stop by around the back of Paxton Drive is literally just a footpath. Right, it's not even on a road, so there would be huge crowd control issues. Um, so they can't physically do it. We, I did that story last week after you, as did the um, the first launch of the M2 service, and pointed out that if effectively what you've got is the the city council this the, the, this project is two hundred. They spent two hundred and thirty million quid on a on a mass transit scheme for Bristol. They've designed it so it runs right past the biggest venue in Bristol, Ashton Gate Stadium and have made it so that it cannot serve events at that venue. And that just strikes me as being completely... It does seem like an absolutely massive what? missed opportunity. And the fact of the matter is as well that
0: fans are, you know, you can't say, right, these buses aren't for City fans going to matches. Yeah. And all of a sudden the City fans go, oh, better not get on it then. Yeah. The fact of the matter is there's still going to be these many thousands of
5: people trying to get there.
0: Yeah. And they're going to be getting on Metro buses, assumedly. Yeah. And they're just going to be absolutely rammed.
5: Even even that's debatable because there is, um, so what Bristol City have done is put on a subsidised first bus to do actual normal buses. Um, that run from park-and-ride t- t- car parks all over the city and um, take fans in, and they're increasing that number, they've increased the routes. There's a comp- bus company, an independent bus company called A-Bus, that run a specific shuttle from Temple Meads to Ashton Gate on match days. In their statement that they provided to me when I asked First Bus, who are operating the Metrobus, they pointed out that um there is actually a... a a little shuttle bus that runs from Temple Meads to Ashton Gate um, already, and that's quicker and more direct than using the 230 million. First bus themselves have yeah. said that as well. See, and and it's interesting the first bus's statement to me when I was putting these uh, this issue to them didn't really pull any punches about the Metrobus infrastructure that they had been given to operate on. Mm. They have made it clear that the reason they couldn't, even if they wanted to, and I'm sure given First Bus' um, desire to get as many people on their buses as possible, um, I'm sure they would want to uh, whack loads of buses on there and try and help um, ease the uh, outflow of people from Gate after a match. They said... Um, The Metrobus service simply does not have the capacity required to meet the demand and it was never meant to be the panacea for parking issues around match events. Um, So effectively, Metrobus isn't the answer or even an answer to this whole intractable issue of um, getting people to and from Ashton Gate and away again. Um, That last statement they said about it never meant to be the, the panacea to that it's interesting that when that when they mention that they basically what they're saying is that it all along it, um, Metrobus wasn't supposed to be for Ashton Gate Stadium, and it's really well two interesting things about that is first is that you often get when they say something like that and this has happened before with stories you've done as is that f- uh, councillors and people who are involved in the original plans for Metrobus back in the day, like, say, 10 years ago or five years ago in the planning of Metrobus, they always stand up and say, no, actually, that's what we know. We wanted it to be like this. We wanted there to be the South Bristol link to be included. We want." And decisions, the politicians have changed and new decisions have been made, which have curtailed Metrobus and kind of shrunk it a bit, as far as I can see. Would that be fair Yeah, to say? I think
6: that's a fair assessment. Yeah. <clears throat> I think it looks a lot different to how people were expecting it to look, like you said, a decade or even five years ago. Um, but the council seem to still be wanting to push ahead with the Metrobus system. There's a whole kind of phase two and phase three in the works and potentially seven new routes coming you know, in the next 20 to 30 years. So they seem to still be behind it, although I know Marvin Rees has been fairly reluctant to praise it in terms of its delivery.
5: Mm. It's a bit of a hospital pass for him, really, isn't it?
6: Yeah, yeah, because it predates him. So yeah. he can kind of say, this is nothing to do with me, really. And I think that's probably fair.
5: And the other thing that, just to mention about that, First Bus are saying, um, you know, we haven't got the capacity required to meet demand for Ashton Gate Stadium. And yet, <coughs> Metro Bus in there, um, just last night, they tweeted out a thing launching on Twitter, M2 service, and they've said it's for Ashton Gate Stadium. <laughs> so I was like, well, okay, you say it's for Ashton Gate Stadium. First bus say it's, um, f- uh, please, you know, not don't everyone rush at once. We haven't got the, we've got one bus every 12 minutes on a Saturday afternoon. It's not going to be the answer. And in any case, you could get there quicker on a, on a rival's bus, rival bus company's bus. Um, so... There's a bit of a mixed message. Someone at the social media team didn't get the memo on that one. And I think
6: think that goes to the project as a whole because so many different people or councils or authorities have stakes in it. It can be so difficult to know even where to go to to get answers. I mean, it spans... Bristol, South Gloss, North Sum. But now you've got Weka as well as the next tier above that. You've also got a Metrobus team, first to the operators. So when we're looking for comments or for clarification on something, you just have to take a scattergun approach and and approach all of them. There is no one person who controls it all. And And that 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 was something which was brought up in a scrutiny meeting when they were looking at the um, project and its delivery so far, that there is no one who is just there to be looking and planning for Metrobus.
0: And that has resulted in a lot of confusion as well, isn't it? You know, there's been all sorts of issues with dates, what the route was going to be, what kind of infrastructure we were going to get. There was the the Avon Crescent situation as well, where there was Mm -hmm. supposed to be a shared space that was then abandoned, but then that was not one person's decision, it was someone else's decision. And so it has been, like you say, a really scattered process completely, Mm -hmm. hasn't it? And then when you get to this point where you have a, a quite a big issue where it was a once in a generation opportunity to solve the transport problems to Ashton Gate, who do you look to? Who can you say this was an opportunity that you missed? Mm. You can't because everyone will keep pointing the finger yeah. at each other, won't they?
5: It's, yeah. And I mean, yeah, I had a long conversations with people from Bristol sport and from, from Metrobus and councillors and stuff. And everyone is kind of like, Oh yeah, well, you know, um you, you know, it's always going to be difficult and that kind of thing. But when you take a take a step back from it and say look you've just spent 230 million quid on a you know the biggest transport infrastructure program in bristol's history certainly probably since they started putting the trams out there in the victorian times or wherever it was um then you know and it goes right past ashton gate and yet it doesn't serve ashton gate events that you have to just uh, kind of look at it in a black and white issue not i don't care about the guided bus rails i don't care about the bridge being too small i don't care about the you know the little excuses you're using that is the ultimate thing that you take back and just say that's the statement you've spent this and it does not do it does not meet this demand and you can't possibly imagine that in the entire process, someone then go, "Oh, what about what about the football?" Yeah, someone must have raised well, that. I mean, uh, interestingly, if, um, I've understand that um, the question of there being a stop right next to Ashton Gate because it does run literally across the road from the stadium. It on on the way down from the from the from the roller coaster flyover, it passes right by the stadium, and the question of whether there should be a stop there. Um, was talked about and it was pre- from from what I've gathered I think that that might have been an option if but Bristol Sport the only you know Ashton Gate Stadium Bristol City Bristol Rugby would have had to have paid for it I think that and and also because of the the infrastructure there and it's up above it's up a higher level and stuff the actual physical ability to do that would have been very expensive to to for that to happen. So they've kind of fudged it with a stop around the back of a, a block of uh, flats at Paxton Drive that is across the other side of a dual carriageway and then another five minute walk across the park. Um, and they've called it Ashton Gate and they called it Ashton Gate and I said, is that for me for Ashton Gate State, Stadium then? And they're like, no, because that's the old Ashton Gate the gate to get into Ashton Court. Is it is, even geographically correct it is, to call that Ashton it Gate? Is, I guess it is because that is the area is called Ashton Gate. It's not just the stadium around there. It's the actual, you know, that whole area of Bristol is called Ashton Gate. Um, and it is the bit that I guess you would, you know, the old gate into Ashton Court would, would have perhaps been around that area. So... Technically, yeah, it's Ashton Gate. They could have solved it, you know, but they're advertising it as being for Ashton Gate Stadium. They've called it Ashton Gate, the stop. They could have called it Paxton Drive and then said it's for the residents of Paxton Drive. Um, so it's it's just, it, I can't work out, you know. It seems that half the people in charge of this say, yeah, yeah, it's for the stadium. The other half, the first bus, are going, no, it's, no, 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 don't. Please don't everyone rush at once. We've got one bus every 20 minutes. Thank you very much, guys, for talking us through it.
0: So Metrobus is nearly complete. Pretty soon, it's going to be open in all three routes that you can choose from, and we're going to see if it lives up to its name. Although things are looking doubtful. Right, that brings this week's episode to an end. So it is Bloom Fiesta this weekend, Matt. Mm, it is. Are you going?
1: I haven't made plans to go. You should go. I know. I like. It's one of those things. Where I didn't realise it was this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I keep doing that as well. Yeah, you know, there's I keep so many festivals. People on. keep
0: talking about these festivals, you know, and I think, oh yeah, that's weeks away. It's fine. And then someone says it's August. It's like, you know, yeah, Whoa.
1: Yeah, next week, Yeah, the, I I would love to go. Um, I don't. I just haven't got. I mean, maybe I maybe I will.
0: You know, the thing I, I like about Bl- Bloom Fiesta is that as long as you're under the sky. You're at Fiesta. Yeah. You, so know, you never like know a, when it's going to happen. If
1: you're an astronaut <laughs> you're on yeah. duty.
0: You're going to miss it. <laughs> I know. But as long as you're underneath that level, yeah.
1: even if you could be high up. Great view. But the, the last, last year, there was a problem with wind.
0: Yeah. Uh, it all kicked off with the wind. This
1: weekend is looking A little bit doubtful iffy. I know. It's it good seems, weather. It's like raining. It's ridiculous. They don't have much luck with the weather. No, it
0: hasn't rained for about three months in in Bristol. And now all of a sudden, as soon as there's something that it needs to not rain for.
1: It's like the weather knows.
0: The weather knows. I wonder if someone is going to start up the Windy face Twitter account again. <laughs> I know we're going to be live vlogging the wind, which is something... Are you going to go? I'm going to go, hopefully, yeah. I don't know what day I'm going to go. It's going to be weather dependent. But I do want to go and see some balloons.
1: Mm. i mean i will be about so i'm sure i'll see a lot of balloons and it's always fun to look at the sky and go oh look there's a balloon shaped like percy pig yeah that's and you don't realize that you wanted to see that until you
0: see it you think i'm really glad i've seen that wouldn't expecting it that was a nice trip grateful i'm just thank you thank you to the balloon (laughs) i mean i
1: i hopefully will you know we'll end up going but i i i'm not sure yet i've made no plans um that's how i live my life you you gotta go to the night the night glow
0: is is definitely the highlight for me i think they're they're really beautiful
1: it must look amazing it
0: does look i've only been to one to be honest but they are absolutely fantastic and definitely worth worth the late night
1: i think well um, you might have convinced me
0: do it do it right that brings this week's show to an end thank you so much for listening guys don't forget you can follow us on twitter at ibl podcast and don't forget to rate review and subscribe to us on apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from right we'll see you next week goodbye